Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms, the Old Testament book, book of Psalms. Particularly, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 37 this morning. We're not going to look at the entire psalm. Uh, the entire psalm is what is called an acrostic. That is, each verse begins with a uh, succeeding letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, psalms that are written that way, and there are actually several of the psalms that are written that way, but psalms that are written that way are real difficult to outline because they do not deal with a particular uh, subject or things of that nature, but rather they're almost like a collection of proverbs, and so to speak. So uh, they don't lend themselves often to uh, looking at a, a particular subject from that psalm. But uh, in, in the 37th psalm, we're going to consider the first 11 verses this morning as we consider a diploma from heaven. But at the very end of it, if you'll notice that this is a psalm by David, and at the very end of it, David says this. He says, I was young but now I'm old. I was young, but now I'm old. Now his point is not just that this happens to the young folks. Uh, it didn't seem like but just a few years ago they'd look at me and say, well, you, you're a young preacher and one of these days you're going to be really good at it. And now they say, well, I bet you was really good when you was young. I don't know how big that window is, but it, this thing of youth seems to get away from us awful quickly. But here David is saying, I was young, but now I'm old. But his point is not how quick we transfer from one to the other, but his point was, listen to me, son. I used to be young, but now I'm old, and this is what I've learned during that time. Most of us that uh, can remember far enough back to remember our graduation, we probably thought, well, I've got my education and now I'm ready to go out there and storm the world and, and I got everything just in a good firm grasp and it wasn't until we got out into the world and got married and, and began to face the, uh, the responsibilities of a job and, th and so forth that we really began to understand our education didn't really take place in high school. It really took place once we got out into the world. This morning, I, I don't want to sound like one of those guys that, you know, is just, well, I'm old and, and, and so listen to me, uh, because I remember when I was a kid, my dad couldn't tell me anything either, especially when I graduated high school. I, I know better than everybody else, uh, uh, but I want you to listen this morning, not because it's me, but because it's from King David, and it's actually from God then. And he's going to tell us some very important things this morning. Whether you're a graduate this year of, of uh, high school or college or some other area of your life, these are principles that are true for each and every one of us. I notice uh, things changed a lot over the last few years. My uh, adopted father uh, never got beyond the fourth grade, never went beyond the fourth grade in school, and yet he had some pretty good jobs. I would dare say you're probably not going to get a good job today having nothing more than a fourth grade education. Matter of fact, one of the things that they're always going to ask you is for your diploma or at least a GED certificate to say that you have accomplished uh, in the equivalence to a high school diploma. A lot of jobs want to see that college diploma. And without that piece of paper that says that you have received a training, an education, they're not likely to put you to work. I want to borrow from that idea and submit to you this morning that without a diploma, if you will, from heaven, we're probably not going to be very effective in the work of the Lord. Psalm 37, if you will, begin reading me, with me in verse 1. He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, 
Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's an interesting way to put that. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. The aged David, writing to his son, begins to share this important information about life. He continues in verse 11 and closes that particular section, but says, The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That first phrase in verse 11 should sound familiar to you. It is, it is from this particular psalm that Jesus borrowed the idea, if you will, of the meek inheriting the earth, which was the third beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. And Psalm 37 verses 1 through 11 are an exposition or a commentary, if you will, on that idea of the meek inheriting the earth, even though it was written a thousand years before Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. As we go back and we look at these 11 verses, we see several components that Christ is going to teach us this morning that will enable us to do the work that God has called us to do, to succeed, to be able to go forward into the world and to gain success and to to make a difference in the world and in the lives of those that the Lord places in our path. Uh, We say congratulations to you this morning, but again, understand that while you've reached a milestone in your life, this is the first of several more milestones to come. This is not the place where, where we just say, well, okay, I've made it here, and, and, and that's the end of it. No, this is, this is really a kind of a, a starting point from which many other things are going to happen in your life. So we congratulate you, but I want you to hear what God says. In 37th Psalm, he mentions on three different occasions, do not fret. Do not fret. Now, the idea of fret comes from a Hebrew word that has the idea of burning. And, and he uses a particular tense, the, it's called the hit pale, which has the idea of it's reflexive. So it's something that you do to yourself. And so what David is telling his son is, listen, you have got to make sure that you do not let yourself burn. Do not let yourself boil and burn and become heated and agitated by something. You know, you put a pan of water on the stove, and if you don't ever turn the burner on, it just sits there nice and calm. But when you turn that burner on, as it heats up, what happens to the water? It begins to boil. It begins to agitate. It's no longer at peace. It's no longer calm. It's no longer still and tranquil. But now it's bubbling and it's boiling and, and, and things. And what he's saying is, son, you can't let your life get to that point. 
You must make yourself. Can I use modern vernacular? The idea is do not let yourself become boiling. We might say today in our society, son, just chill out. Son, just, just take a chill pill for a little while. Now, there's something particular that David's talking about. And again, young people, please get this, all right? What is it that they would fret about? Well, in verse 1, uh, as we read this, he says, Do not fret. Why? Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. In verse 7, he says, And shall bring forth thy righteousness. Uh, pardon me, verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who be, uh, bringeth wicked devices to pass. Verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Three different times, the aged David, who has spent a lifetime right, of, of watching God work in his life. He, he's experienced the heights of killing a, a, a lion and a bear with his own hands. He has stood before a, a giant that was some nine foot six inches tall, and he, without fear, looked at him with all of his armor and his sword and his spear and his shield and everything. And David stand there with a little slingshot, and David doesn't bat an eye, he doesn't flinch at all. He said, boy, I'm telling you, I'm fixing to bring you down just like I did that lion and that bear. You are no threat to me. Because you are no threat to my God. Now he's experienced that. And then he's also spent much time in his life running from his own son. From the former king of Israel. He's experienced the highs of victory. He's experienced the lows of, of what sin brings to our lives. And he's writing to his son. Uh, to his son. He says, listen son, let, let me just share it. Let me, let me drop some wisdom on you. All right? Take a chill pill when it comes to looking at the lives of those that are wicked. Turn on the NBA. Turn on the NFL. Turn on MLB. Guys that are making $8 million, and not all of them are doing this. Some of these guys are making $8, $10, 12000000 million a year, and what are their lifestyles like? Are they godly? Do they put Christ first in their life? Is their life filled with drugs and, and, and violence? How many more NFL stars are going to be arrested for domestic violence? And yet our world idolizes these guys, don't they? Oh, they're making big money. And, and it seems as if they are above the law sometimes. Even the owners of NFL teams now seem to be above the law at times. And David understood that to a young person, I look at those guys and I know that they're wicked. I know that they're evil. And yet they make infinitely more money than I do. And yet nobody in the world knows the name of Jeff Chrysler, but most everybody in the world, even if they're not a sports fan, knows the name of Tom Brady, don't they? Everybody knows the name of Tiger Woods, but hardly anybody knows the name of Tommy Stennett. You see what I'm saying? 
And to a young person, they're thinking, you know, I, I remember hearing my parents and I remember hearing the preacher preach about, and I've sat in services about how we're supposed to give our lives to God as we've been singing this morning, give my life to him. And I watch and I see these guys never raise the power. These guys never get rich. These guys never have this. They never have that. And I look at them and I see what they got. And David's saying, son, take a chill pill. Don't burn over that. Now, I understand you're sitting there thinking, well, okay, but I'll take that fame and that wealth. You see, the same thing happens to, sometimes happens to the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, sometimes uh, the unrighteous, we, we want to think, well, if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'm righteous, God's going to do nothing but good in my life, and if I'm unrighteous, he's going to do this and that and the other, and those people are going to suffer, but yet we don't see that happen in life for reality sometimes. And so you might say, well, but Jeff, I'm not going to take any advice on you about the importance of God in my life versus the importance of power and money. And you'd be right to do that because I ain't got none of the latter. I mean, I got, hopefully I got God in my life, and I, I believe that I do, but as far as the, the, the money and the power and all that, I, you're right, I don't have it. But let me tell you, there were some men that did. King David was one of them. His son Solomon was one of them. And you look at the Bible, and you look at the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he said, you know, I've had power. I've had wealth. I've had joy. I've had pleasures. I've had more women than most guys would ever meet in a lifetime. I, I've had all the world has to offer me. And I'm telling you, when I came to the end of my life, it dawned on me, and I realized that all of that means absolutely nothing. It's vanity. It's empty because it can't satisfy. Some of the most rich men in the world were miserable because money can't satisfy some of those that had the most power lived miserable lives because power cannot satisfy. Go back to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes and he's going to tell you, I'll tell you what the whole duty of man is and that is to fear God and keep his commandments. And so David is saying, son, three different times, don't burn. Don't be envious. Don't be desirous of, of their life and what it brings. Yeah, it seems to be fun. It's filled with parties. It's filled with this, it's filled with that. But it will not bring what you're really looking for. So he says, here's what you do. In verse 3, trust in the Lord. The word trust here comes from the, the word that means to have a strong confidence in, to set one's hope and confidence in, to rely fully upon. Trust in the Lord. Have faith. In the Lord. The Bible tells us without faith you cannot please God. If you cannot please God and you cannot have faith, you cannot be blessed by God. And again, I'll say I understand we look at the lifestyle of the rich and the famous that are evil and we think, well, they're being blessed. They get to enjoy some of the benefits of this life and some of the sorrows of this life, but understand what they get in this life is in this life only and it won't even satisfy in this life. The Bible says that if God does not bless, the one who builds a house in this life builds it in vain. You can gain all the world has to offer you, but if God does not bring his blessings, then God cannot bless where there is no trust, where there is no faith. David says, son, would you please listen to me? 
Would you, would you understand that you can't look at their lives and desire their lives and the lifestyle they live, but what you must do is you must have faith. You must trust. You must rely in the Lord. People talk about faith and make, we make it so mysterious. Or we make it so simplistic. And we say that, well, faith is just believing. The Bible says faith is not just believing. In fact, James wrote an entire book saying that faith that only believes is a dead faith. The faith that is living is the faith that believes and then does the works that comes from that. All right? We have to match lifestyle to what we believe if it's going to be true faith. Faith is to say, all right, here's what God's word says about this and about this and about this. Faith not only says I believe this, but now I live by this. That's what faith is. David says, son, trust in the Lord. Believe in him. Follow him. Follow his word for your life. Look at the rest of that verse. He says, trust in the Lord and do good so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. What David is talking about is you want security, trust in the Lord. Now, you may not be able to go from paycheck to paycheck without having to borrow from here or there yonder from time to time. And you may never have your name up in lights. You may never sign a contract that says if you fire me, you're going to have to fire me and give me $6 million as I go out the door. I keep trying to get faith to get that contract with me. I mean, just, you know, a buyout clause. It is mind-boggling to me that people can get things like that. But what David is saying is if you want real security, don't get a buyout clause. If you want real security, trust in him. Trust in him. And he will put you in a land and in a place where you can enjoy the blessings and be secure. Trust in the Lord, verse 3. We'll hurry on. In verse 4, delight thyself in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord. This was an interesting word to me. This word delight, it literally means that we are to be pampered or spoiled. Be pampered or be spoiled. I don't know who started it, and I can't really deny it, but somebody said my grandkids are spoiled. It might be, and I've shared this with you before, it might be because here a while back, she was gonna, they were going to come spend the night, and Caleb wanted me to make them a birthday shake. It's something we do at our house about every time they come. I'll get the blender down, the ice cream and the sprinkles and the food coloring, and, and we make these birthday shakes that are just whatever color they want with all the sprinkles they want, lots of sugar and all of this and that and the other. They're at grandparents' house. That's what's supposed to happen. So she said, Mama, I'm going to go to Donnie and Poppy's house tonight and get a birthday shake. And she, her mama said, well, they may not want to make a birthday shake tonight. And she said, my poppy never tells me no. A few weeks later, she wanted to come spend the night at Poppy's house. Mama, can I go spend the night at Poppy's house? No, it's too late. It's too late. This is about 9 o'clock at night. It's too late to go up to Donnie uh, and Poppy's house now. I'm not driving you all the way down. I'll just call Poppy. He'll come get me. And she was right. I don't know who started this rumor. 
being spoiled, being pampered. It's that place that, that there is joy and delight and, and, and it's, it's the place you want to be above all else, isn't it? Uh, sometimes ladies, they'll want to go to the, the, the pedicure and manicure place and, and if you ask them why, they say, well, I can just go and be pampered. You know, and I can sit there and they'll just work on me and I just, I, I, it just I'm pampered. David said, son, now it's going to sound odd to you and I, but son, when it comes to God, feel like every time you are in his presence, that's the place where you're pampered and spoiled. Let me ask you, I'm just being honest. When's the last time as a child of God you got in the presence of God and felt like this is the place where I am being pampered? I dare say probably very few of us experience that regularly in our lives. That place where we get before him and we just feel like, man, he is doting on us. We are spoiled rotten. We are being pampered right here. Let me tell you, I, I know this doesn't sound, this, this doesn't even, I, I wrestled with this all week. Can I even talk about God in this life? Let me tell you, I've come, become convinced by the word of God. God can pamper like nobody else can. And there ain't no better place in the world to be. David says, son, go to God. And, 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 and let that be that place where you just feel so special. I hear that a lot. I don't feel special. Go to God. Go to God. Delight yourself. There you can be refreshed. There you'll find satisfaction. There you'll find contentment. Delight yourself. You know, when I was lost, I resisted him. I shrank back from him. But as a child of God, there is a desire now, a longing to be in the presence to enjoy. If you'll let me use modern vernacular again, what David is saying to his son is, Son, not money, not women, not drugs, not alcohol, but God should be your happy place. That's your happy place, son. Delight in him. I shared with a church member a few weeks ago. I may need that buyout clause in a minute. But I shared with a church member a minute ago that I'd been praying about something and it just seemed like heaven got so quiet. Y'all may never have experienced that. I'm in good company because many of the Old Testament saints have felt that way. As if heaven got so quiet. That's a miserable place for the child of God. But to be there where the delight, where I'm pampered, where I'm spoiled rotten, it's a wonderful place. Delight. Delight yourself. Trust in him. Delight in him. Commit your way to him. Look at verse 5. Let them... Be a, a wrong verse, I'm sorry, verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit here means to roll over upon. What? Roll over upon. And the word that he uses for way here is that word for road or path. 
or journey. We'll take your journey through the rest of life. Andrew, take the rest of your life and, and the path that God has set before you. Bethany, take that, that, that road that God has set you upon and roll it over onto him. In other words, God, you show me which direction to go. You lead me, and I'll just follow. Roll it over onto him. And if you look at the, at the Hebrew, what he says in verse 5 is, roll your road over onto him, and he will act. It's so simple. He will act. I can roll my life over into God and know that he'll lead. I can roll my life over onto him and know that he will provide. I can roll my path over onto him and know that he will protect. I can roll my, my journey over onto him and know that he will bind me up when I fall. Roll. Commit your way to the Lord. I hear horror stories from time to time of how family members let other family members down, whether it's husband, wife, children to, to parents, parents to children. Uh, it breaks my heart to see parents not any more involved in their kids' life and the failure of those parents. It breaks my heart to see areas where family members fail and let other family members down. There's no pain in the world worse than that of a family member that is, has let you down. But I'm here to tell you this morning, on the authority of my life and on the authority of the Word of God, you can trust that God will not let you down. And that's what David's telling his son. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7 be still before the Lord. The word be still here has the word that uh, is from a Hebrew word that is marked by silence. To be silent and to be quiet. As a young person, it is very tempting to come to God and say, all right, God, I've got my degree in this and I've got this and here's what I'm going to do and here's where I'm going and, and, and this is my end goal here. As a child of God, sometimes we, we, we come to God and we tell God how to handle the situations in our life and how to fix this and what we want and how we expect. You know, sometimes as a child of God, the best thing in the world we can do is just sit there with our hand over our mouth and be silent and say, God, how about you do some talking for a while? How about you tell me where I want to go or where I need to go? How about you tell me how this situation should be turned out. In my mind, yeah, I think this. But David said, son, let me tell you something. If you want to listen to some good advice, trust in him, delight in him, roll your life over to him. But every now and then, just, just come to him because you delight in him and shut your mouth and listen to him. There are times, as a child of God, those are the sweetest moments in the world because sometimes that's when he reminds us how much he does love us, how much he does care for us. Be silent. Blaise Pascal once said, the basic thing that is wrong with all the world is that man does not know how to stay quietly in his own room. 
Someone else once said, we got to do something even if it's wrong. David said, son, delight in God and go and sit and let him do some talking. Be still, be quiet. Verse 8. We've understood that we need to trust in, we need to delight, we need to commit, we need to be still. And then in verse 8, we are to refrain from anger. The word refrain means to cast down or to throw. This is not in the same hit pale tense that all the other commands have been in. This one's in the hit field, which means you have to cause to do this. This is not something that's going to happen by accident. This is not something you're going to stumble across one day. But this is something you have to determine in your mind and cause yourself to do this. You have got to decide, I have this thing in my life. And I can either hold on to it and embrace it. Or I can make myself throw it down and get rid of it. What is David saying? David is saying, son, there is something that will always be a part of your life. Unless you decide, I'm going to throw it down. I'm going to lay it down right here. What is it? The word anger, which, by the way, comes from the word we get or the, in the Hebrew that means nostrils. Throw down my nostrils? No. You ever got really just plum dog mad? What do you usually do? <sighs> Type thing. You're flaring out those nostrils. When the Bible says that God is long-suffering, it uses this same word for nostrils, and it means that God, you've got to push God a long way before he gets to that point where he flares his nostrils. I have seen, if you'll just let me, in 53 years of living, in 30 years now of pastoring, I have seen an just an unbelievable amount of damage done by anger. I've seen families destroyed because of a temper. I've seen churches split wide open because of tempers. I've seen children tremble in fear of their parents because of a temper. I've seen a child hit and hurt another child because of a temper. Now, some people can control it a little bit easier than others, but I got news for you. Temper is a part of every one of our lives, and we can either embrace it, or as David says, we can throw it down and cast it away from us. Son, as you consider these people, don't. Don't let it make you angry at them. And here's the other side of this that nobody talks about very often is don't let it make you become angry at God either. Well, why can't I have the big bucks? Why can't my name be in lights? I've been pastoring for all these years and I never got to moderate at the association meetings. I, 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 I never get this and I never... If we're not careful, not only do we become angry at others, but we become angry at God. Why ain't I getting my shot? David says, son, you've got to learn to control anger because anger does an immense amount of damage. So I've said all that to get to this. How do we do this? Number one, we look up. 
And number two, we look to the future. What do you mean look up? When I look up, I am no longer looking at myself and comparing myself to those that are making the big bucks. When I look up, I'm not looking at myself and and wishing that I could have the successes that they have. When I look up, my attention is no longer focused on me, but it is now focused on God. So the first thing David says is, son, look up. Look towards God and realize that what's important in your life is not the successes, not the money, not the power, not the fame, but what's important is serving him. But then also look to the future. The most important thing in our lives is to get our eyes off of the wicked and even off of ourselves and on the Lord. And then from then we look to the future and we say, you know when it's all said and done? When it's all said and done, they may have had 40 years, 50 years on this earth of great power and great wealth. While I barely got by, while I was a nobody, that is true. That may have happened for 40 to 50 years. But now, eternity is in, in view. Do you remember the story in the Gospel of Luke about the rich man and Lazarus? Do you remember that when it was all said and done and death had come to them both? Which, by the way, rich, powerful, poor, unknown, it really doesn't matter, death's coming. It comes to all. And another beautiful thing about that is the Bible says that when Lazarus, the child of God, died, the angels met him there to carry him home. The Bible says when the rich man died, and the very next thing is in hell, he lifted up his eyes. But as the rich man began to cry out, Abraham, how about sending Lazarus that he might touch his finger in water and touch my tongue? I'm tormented in these flames. That Abraham said, "Uh uh-uh, son, do you remember all through this life all the things that you enjoyed and how Lazarus was poor and beggarly all of his life? Well, that was a span of about 40 plus years, give or take. But now through all of eternity, son, there will never be an ending to this. But you will be tormented every moment of every day from now until eternity ends, which will never, ever happen. And he, (laughs) he's being pampered. He's being spoiled. He is in the presence of God. And that will last every minute from every day from now throughout all eternity. So when you look at them, look up and get your eyes off of yourself and then look to the future and realize, realize what God has in store for you. Congratulations on what you've accomplished. But don't let this be the end of what you've accomplished. Accomplish something for Him now. Trust in Him. Delight in them. Commit to them. Give them your life. Enjoy. Enjoy the blessings that he has in store for you. Let's stand and prepare for a verse of invitation. God, as we come to you today, I, I, I know that these are things that David wrote to his son and we've looked at from the aspect of our graduates.
But in reality, these are things that you speak to each and every one of us. God, I pray that if there's one here today that has not come to that place where they've just sat in front of you and felt the love and the pampering and the spoiling as you, as you doted on them as your child. Oh God, that we would find that place again today. Lord, as we try to make our way through life, help us to trust in you and obey you and commit, roll over our path to you. Help us to look up and not in and to look to the future. Father, get honor and glory. May your will be done. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.